What's up, guys? This week on the podcast, we chat to Michael Houghton. Michael is the host of the Irish Fire podcast, um, and this one is one of the most important podcasts we've ever done, we think. Um, Fire stands for Financial Freedom Retire Early, uh, and it's an exercise in lifestyle design for sure. Michael uh, really got us thinking about our financial plans. Um, He is currently on course to retire uh, in less than six years. Um, Since this recording, I've sat down with a pension consultant. Um, I've also opened an investment account with the Giro, which we describe uh, during the podcast, what that is. Um, And I've also started to make plans for what it would take, uh, what I would need uh, to retire early, being financially independent. Um, If you listen to this podcast for ideas on lifestyle design and um, how to get the most out of life, this is definitely one for you. I would encourage you guys to share this with anybody who has any interest in finances, any interest in uh, entrepreneurship, uh, lifestyle design, anything like that. You know, share this with people. This one is really, really important. Now, over to the guys in studio to break it down for you. Welcome to the Shark Pod, the podcast that explores business and lifestyle design in Ireland and beyond. And now, live from Greystone Studios, here are your hosts, Luke Curry and Mark Baker. What is up, Shark Nation? Welcome to another episode of the Shark Pod, uh, live from Greystone Studios. Uh, We've got Mark Baker out there in Glenageary. How are you doing, Mark? Good, Luke. How are you? Good, good. We're we're hoping that all the internet kind of stays together here because there was some conspiracy talk before this. Uh, it is the American election um, going on, uh, the counting going on today. Uh, maybe the Russians are kind of doing something to the internet. There was lots of stuff we were talking about before the podcast that probably isn't uh, actually happen- happening. Uh, we've got a very special guest. Something we were kind of excited about this one as well. Uh, we've got Michael uh, Houghton on the line uh, straight out of Limerick. Uh, how's it going there, Michael? Very well, thank you, Luke. Thank you so much for having me on delighted to have you here so michael is the the podcaster or the the host of the irish fire podcast uh, for those people who um have not been following that movement or had exposure to that um it stands for financial uh independence uh, retire early did i did i get that right uh spot on luke spot <laughs> <Yeah>. on <laughs> okay cool perfect so this is something that it's it's like a it's a concept that has been out there uh and th- like just putting the name on it kind of uh, uh, you know puts a little bit more kind of structure around it. Uh, for those people out there, they might have come across uh, Mr. Money Mustache. He's a, a, a kind of a big person in the the space as well. Um, basically, it's it's taking back the power uh, from a retirement point of view. Maybe condensing um, uh, c- condensing what you uh, are doing from a uh, income point of view, um, so that you can plan for the future, and not have to work until you're 65, um, or work till in Ireland uh, 68 or nine or whatever. Um, so, uh, Michael, maybe it's, why don't we dig into kind of a background of who who you are? Like you said on your podcast uh, that I listened to your first podcast, it was um, you know your your accent. You're you're from New Zealand, is that right? Yes, we better start with that, actually. Yeah. We'll cover that off. So for, for those waiting to hear a, a Limerick accent, you're not going to get it on this podcast today, unfortunately. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I'm originally originally from New Zealand. I've been uh, been living here in, in Ireland now for almost 10 years. Right. And um, I'm married. I've got three kids, three boys. Um, and yeah, I mean, in terms, of, in terms of my day job and things like that, I'm a freelance uh, web developer. 
Um, I've always been paid by the time, I've been paid by the hour, and uh, you know, I've had to go to work. If I don't go to work, I don't get paid. So, very much a, a career where it gets very repetitive very quickly. And I think I got to a point in, in around 2017 where I was working away. It's almost this time of year when you, when you get to Christmas time and you start reflecting a little bit and you, you realize you've hardly had a day off for a year and your finances are actually no better. And you're kind of sitting there going, wow, we, what am I doing all this for? So a lot of it came from, I guess, in a sad place to start with in a, in a sort of a, a reflection state of going, well, there's got to be. There's got to be another way, and uh, you know that, that's that's when I started researching and, and discovering the fire movement and and learning a lot more about it, and you know I, I think the movement itself, yeah, you, you, your description of it was very good, but it kind of goes beyond that as well. Money and and finances and investing and all that sort of stuff, passive income is a tool. It's nothing but a tool to give you time freedom. And ultimately, that's what we all, all are all after, regardless of your situation. You know, for me, going to work and working eight hours a day as a programmer, you know, selling my time for money brings me no joy. But if I could be using that time to work on my own passion projects, things that aren't necessarily re related to income, but because I want to help society or just make myself feel good or, or help other people, that's far more re rewarding than going there just making another you know, 75, 80 euros for doing a couple of hours work. So that was largely the, the thought pattern on it. And um, the more I kind of reach into the movement, the more I realize that that's what it's largely about. It's it's such an interesting thing. We've talked to, we've talked to a lot of people now. This is, um, I think, episode uh, 48 or something like that. And this has come up over and over again where it's not really, it's, it's a strange thing that it's not really taught in schools as in like, okay, what's the, what's the financial plan for you? What do you want to do for, it's kind of like, okay, how much, you know, how can you kind of maximize your income and probably maximize how much you spend, how much you get into debt, all that type of stuff. And it just kind of snowballs. And then so a lot of people that we talk to, maybe just because of the, the kind of age bracket we're in, we're kind of between say like 28 and 38, that kind of area where they're thinking all right is this you know I've, I've, I've spent a lot of money on uh in my case like traveling all that type of stuff now i had to come back I had to save for a house i, I was in uh, on the road for about two years uh saving for a house um i got you know the the irish thing as well of you know getting the a house that perhaps not beyond my means but as we maxed it out do you know what i mean we went uh we went kind of all in um and you know in uh in graystones things they're not giving them away you know, uh, in in uh, in Wicklow here, so it it's kind of what we're programmed to do. So it, it does take a lot a lot to step back for a, like a, for a second and get a gap to really think about like how do you want to spend your time? Do you want to be starting work at seven a.m. Uh, you know, and selling that time until six p.m. every day? Um, I don't think anyone, not anyone, but a very small percentage of people are thinking about that. Yeah, and do you know what, Luke? My my gut feeling is is that a lot of this is by design. You know, the fact that we that we leave school and we're suddenly in debt. I mean, I know in Ireland we don't have a student loan system, but we certainly do in New Zealand, and we've seen what happens in the states. And when you're seventeen, eighteen, going to college, you don't know any different. You know, again, you're being programmed to be told to go to college. So a lot of those things from the from the moment you're eighteen to the moment that you die, you're you're pretty much in debt. And yeah, by, by being in debt, that's what's going to keep you having to go to work and having to get up and do it and not complain about it. So <clears> for me, a lot of that was by design. And, and I think at some point, our family woke up and smelled the coffee a little bit and realized that. And, you know, we, you know, to, to do this in Ireland, particularly, but anywhere, 
you need to be frugal and you're going to have to make adjustments and you're going to have to start accepting that, hey, maybe I don't need a brand new car and maybe it's okay to have the oldest car in, in the street and, yeah. and everything like that. And, you know, our house is not big. It's extremely small. We are currently moving, which which we've managed to do, and we managed to put a deal together to do that, which has been great. And we're actually going to be renting our current house out, but even to do that was a stretch. And you know, it's it's about making financial decisions that are sensible, but always ensuring that you're not putting yourself in that debt that's going to mean that you're going to have to go up and keep working to get out of there. You know? Yeah, and and Michael, with, with financial independence, when you first thought, when it kind of it clicked with you that maybe you know you were going along. The, the wrong path, so to speak. And then how, how did you actually, how did you research what it was and who, you know, where was there anyone that was kind of any, any particular area or website or person or book that you read to kind of give you a basis as to what it is? <clears throat> yeah. So, I mean, certainly Luke touched on it earlier. Mr. Money Mustache is, is kind of the American golden boy, if you like, <clears throat> stuff. And he's particularly good because he's, he's extremely frugal. He's a happy man. I mean, here's a guy that retired and he went and started building houses and becoming a laborer. Right. So that was, he, he was doing that by choice. He lives off around 25,000 euros a year. Um, and he's all about just happiness. He, he, he knows what the purpose of life is. The purpose of life for him is to be happy. And he uses financial independence as a way to be happy. And, you know, fair play to him. Nobody can really knock him for that. Um, but beyond that, there's a few good resources. A lot of people will read Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. Um, I don't necessarily agree with everything that he says in the book, but there's a lot of stuff there to at least get you thinking um, about a lot of the stuff, which is good. And Tony Robbins is also an excellent, um, an excellent guy to listen to. He has a book called Money Master the Game. Um, he's got some stuff on YouTube, which you can watch in 40 minutes. You'll, you'll pick up a lot of stuff, which is great. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of stuff to get started. Yeah, the fire, fire is, in theory, it's simple. Doing it in practice is very, very difficult. And it takes time because we're all programmed to do something called lifestyle inflation. And that's where we get pay rises and we just suddenly then increase our expenses. And we almost do it without thinking about it. And, you know, because we're constantly doing that, it, it's, it's a lot harder to reverse that trend. And I mean, I can give you an example from our own family. We were spending around 5,000 euros a month a few years ago. We now reduced our, uh, our expenditures to, to around 2,000 euros a month. So that's a fairly significant cut in expenses. And the scary thing is, is that we're probably happier today than we were when we were spending 5,000 euros a month. Um, so it's, it's very much just, just a lifestyle change, but it takes time. It takes time to get everybody on board uh, to, to do this sort of stuff. And you've got to have a reason for wanting to do it. You know, for us, it's, it's a, a, a way for me to escape what I talked about earlier, the fact that I have to sit there selling my time. I'm six years away now from being able to technically be financially independent. Wow. And, you know, I've kind of calculated the days. It's about 12,000 days left of work. So it's a matter of me just getting up and getting on with it. And that's motivating for me. And that's what's actually getting me through, you know. So that, it's kind of having that end goal in mind. That sounds amazing. Like, Mark, this is, this is something that um, it's – we talk about Tony Robbins a lot in this uh this podcast as well tony robbins was kind of a weird one because i i uh, grew up without a, a, a dad at home and tony robbins was my mom would always give me those books and those uh tapes to listen to and that was kind of kind of like a little role model so uh, I've, I've uh spent a lot of time with the tony stuff and he he kind of talks about this uh this um uh, compelling future he's like if you can if you're going after a compelling future you can put up with almost anything you know um and he talks about uh the God, I can't remember the the guy's name now. Uh, it's a book, uh, the Man's Search for Meeting. Um, 
it's about the, the holocaust survivor guy and he was saying the only difference between him and the people who were you know uh weren't making it was that he had this future in mind that he was working towards um so it is something because if you so you're, you're saying six years twelve thousand days whatever right if we're if you go ask uh, somebody on the street or no how about ask um some people that i work with or have worked with in other companies that are making by anybody's um uh you know calculation they're doing very very well but they have no end in sight um so it's kind of like okay what's the what's the goal here is it just to like i said inflate the lifestyle go to eli and the ifsc and spend 12.50 on mediocre wine uh per glass um i I noticed that the more money that i started to make the more expensive the drinks became i don't know how that works uh that kind of just kind of fits into the the uh the kind of trajectory there but it is it is uh something i've never heard anyone um that's in our kind of age bracket that says that they're going to be finished in six years. Like I, I know some people who are in their fifth, kind of later fifties, who can't really see the the path to that. Um, so is that to without going into like too many de- details personally? How would somebody set that up? How do we say? It does what's the calculation there? Is there something like okay, I'm going to live to 110, you know, and uh, you know, in the perfect situation. Or I want to live till ninety five. This is the income I need. How how does that work, Michael? Do you know it's it's scary, Luke, because it, it actually doesn't matter how long how long you're going to live. You, you do, almost don't need that calculation. And in the fire world, it's all about something called the four percent rule, which is basically means that when you can amass an investment amount which is twenty five times your annual expenses, then in theory you can live forever if you wanted to and withdraw down 4% of your portfolio per year. And you will still, in theory, have that money left by the time that you die. Now, there is cases where that isn't true, so it shouldn't be seen as a guarantee, Hmm. but it's typically seen as a fairly safe bet. So the logic is pretty simple. I mentioned earlier that I have, uh, we have expenses of around 2,000 euros a month. So if you multiply that uh, or put put that together annually, that's 25,000 or 24,000 euros a year. If you multiply that by 25, you get 600,000 euros. So effectively what I need to do is amass a a portfolio of 600,000 euros. I can take a safe bet that if I withdraw 4% of that a year, which is at 24,000 euros, that that should still be there when I die and should be passed on to my children. So that's that's the logic. And to put it in in numbers, I have around 140,000 euros amassed to date, which I've done over the last three years. And according to um according to the calculator which uh, is very simple to put in there if you work out an average return of seven percent based on the fact that, um, that we're saving around four and a half thousand euros a month we should be there at about six hundred thousand euros in about five years and ten months wow I think the calculator says so it's it's fairly accurate now obviously that's going to determine whatever the return is and look if there's another great crash or whatever then that's fine <laughs> yeah. but the funny thing is you know a lot, and a lot of people will say to me oh are you worried about a share market crash and all that Luke and Mark, I couldn't wish for a share market crash more than anybody. I would love it to happen because it means that I'm buying more units of that share market for less. And ultimately, yeah. that's going to uh, rise in the long run and actually be better for me. It is a case where I always say to people, look, I just buy in every mo- I, I buy in twice a month on the same day each month and I'm averaging in. Really, I don't ignore the noise and you just keep buying and keep buying and you stick to your strategy of, of wanting to get there, knowing that in the long run that that, uh, that portfolio is going to keep amassing and compounding over time. It's such a, I don't know, it's such a great thing to commit to because I don't know what it is, right? I, don't, I know this isn't a, this isn't a, 
you know a psychologist uh meeting or anything but this is something that me and mark talked a lot about this privately what are we going to do uh with this type of thing and i i do find it difficult to so the way my portfolio would be uh compiled would be kind of almost 50 50 cash and stock uh but the stock would be you know hubspot stock that type of thing right um but i I, like I, I'll save into kind of buying uh, stock schemes and all this type of stuff and work that are good for tax and like there's some stuff that I'm doing there and it you know it's a good part of the net worth if you like, um, but I do find it difficult to to actually pull the trigger and buy, like you're saying every twice a month this is when I go in every time I try to do that I look at it and I go oh, geez, it does look like there was a bit of a spike yesterday I don't know if this is the it, you know what it's not the right time and then I go in and I feel like uh, I don't know if you watched a, a, a Disney's Mickey Christmas Carol I don't know if you've ever seen that where Scrooge McDuck is with his ducats and he's counting them that's what I that's what I end up doing at the end of the month I just go okay well I'm safe but it's all eroding away through um, through inflation do you know what I mean <laughs> so I don't know what it is. Um, did you did, when you were started investing in, I guess like the, the index funds or whatever like that? Um, was there any resistance, or or did it was something that you had to get used to? Yeah, yeah. Do you know what? My biggest problem starting out was trying to take shortcuts. So I, I kind of avoided the share market at first because I didn't really understand it, and I ended up throwing money into what was basically Ponzi schemes and all sorts of bad investments that nobody should ever, ever go near. But I did because I got lured into high returns or the promise of high returns and all of this sort of stuff. And, you know, the, I've, I've lost money along the way, serious money. So, Luke, I've had to learn the hard way far, far more than just worrying about a share market crash because you've got to remember that with a share market crash, as long as you don't sell and panic, you know, and this is this is true for anybody. I mean, I, I have golf buddies that that say, "Oh, I've got friends who who lost everything on Bank of Ireland shares. I you know, went down to three cents in two thousand and eight." And I say, "Well, what did they sell? Were they forced to sell? Oh no, well they sold. They panicked. Well, if they hadn't panicked, they'd be fine today. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's the same for anybody that sold out in two thousand eight. It's the same for anybody that sold out back in March. I, I told people uh, on the podcast back in March, this is a great time to be buying." And lo and behold, I was right. And even if I wasn't right in the long run, I would have been right. Right. So yeah. it's it's one of these things. It's it's very much about you know, the, the reason that I have a mentality of buying on the same day is because it takes me away from trying to guess the market. Mm-hmm. Because it's a fool's game to try and guess the market. And I I have faith in the fact that what I'm buying has been there for 120 years. We've got 120 years worth of share market history. It's been through how many world wars, how many nuclear scares. It's been through a, a Spanish uh, the Spanish flu. So it's seen the coronavirus before. Yeah. This is nothing new for the share market. You know, you've got to look at what it's been through, and and trust the fact that you are buying, say, <clears throat> five thousand, you know, five hundred of the US's top companies or two thousand of the world's top companies, and you're just going to let the thing do its do its thing over time. Um, and so it's very much just about having that mentality. Now, as it is, the way that I've set myself up, and this might be particularly interesting for, for your guys' listeners, is I'm self-employed and I have a company here in Ireland. So I have a, a company pension or a director's pension, which allows me to put in almost twice myself, almost the same amount that I would pay myself through salary, which is far greater than what you could get as an employee. If you're an employee, you're lucky to get 20%. So if I'm paying myself around 44300 a year in Ireland, uh, which is exactly on the tax cutoff for anybody that uh, probably picked that up, I, being from New Zealand, just cannot handle the thought of paying 50% tax. I never will. I never have. 
And so rather than rather than doing that and and uh, giving revenue more money than that that uh, than than they probably need, instead it goes into an executive pension, and I'm able to put thirty thousand euros a year into that pension. Uh, and that's all tax-free. It's a ded deduction to the company. And I have then control of that and I can go and buy whatever ETFs I want to within my broker. Um, so it allows me to kind of get around that. And yeah, the beautiful part of it is, is that our net tax bill is, is less than 10%. Oh, so yeah, it's, it's phenomenal from that point of view. And, and Michael, in that case, just for, because a lot of people that we talk to actually own companies and stuff like that, even, even if they are like uh, smaller ones and they might be directors of companies and stuff like that, with that type of pension thing, do you have to wait till you're 65 to take that out, or how does how does that work? Is that for our directors? Is it different? It's 50. So okay. it's 50. You can take it out at 50, which is quite appealing. So for me, that's 13 and a half years away. Okay. Um, so again, you know, I you, I mentioned there that I'm six years away from being financially independent. As far as I'm concerned, once I'm financially independent, I will have this massive nest egg, and for me to make 24,000 a year, I could do that. On working less than 10 hours or i could go and take a job i've, I've got quiet yeah. interests in hockey coaching and i've done a lot of work for hockey development i could go and become a, a hockey development manager uh or i could become become a hockey coach you know I, yeah. if i want to then i could have ambitions to go and coach a national team um i could actually go and take a job somewhere and in, in something that i like or something i'm passionate about i think sometimes the challenge we have in life when it comes back to something you mentioned earlier luke is it's very, I know this is going to sound like a first world problem, but when you're in a well-paid position, you're kind of trapped because you can't just suddenly stop that and go and take you know, work for a third less. You know, there's no logic in that when you've managed to work yourself up to, to get yourself in a position where you can, you know, you are earning good money. And so for me, you know, this journey is largely about digging myself out of a hole and allowing myself to go and work on stuff that I'm really passionate about without feeling guilty that I'm affecting my family's well-being by giving up a, a well-paying income. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a strange mentality to have, but the pension and financial independence is kind of my ability and my way to allow myself to actually live the life I really want to live. I think that's so interesting as well, because it is, it is true. So like you said, if the goal is to, in this case, 600K, it could be whatever uh, the amount that people land on uh, for whatever type of lifestyle they want to have. But when they get to that, it's not like, like money is uh, impossible to make from then on. You, you could uh like if you if you wanted to you could have like a little stall at a farmer's market or whatever because you like doing that and that could you know chip in a few hundred a week or or whatever it's not completely but there's not the kind of uh the monkey on your back to uh, have to do a job maybe that you don't like but those pay quite a lot um so i know i know people very close to me like that where they're they're it's a corrupting amount of money that they're being paid and they're not it's really kind of that kind of corruption money where you're like i can't uh what am i gonna do what am i gonna do you know um so uh me and mark actually talked about that earlier on we won't bring it up on uh you know won't name names on the podcast but um yeah so, i love it i love that description i just think it's brilliant it's the best i've heard of somebody that's paid too much money and they're, they're kind of stuck in that in the wheel if you like of, of having to do that so it's a brilliant description yeah so the corruption continues Michael, I, I think one of the biggest kind of things holding people back is from investing is most people feel like they don't have enough money in the first place you know so how can they afford to invest? What would you what would you say to people, which the majority of people of that mentality? I would say you've done it before. And I would challenge everybody to go back to 2008 and 2009 when most people found their income slashed and their taxes gone up. 
yet lo and behold, we got through. So for me, the way that I look at it is my pension is another employee in my company that has to be played. So that has to be paid. So for me, it's like I just, you know, I, I, I talked about earlier that my net tax is 10% or less. But in my mind, my real tax is like 50% because 40% of that income is going to my pension and I treat it as an expense and it has to be paid. There is no getting around that. So it's very much that mindset that, and, and, and I, I think this is the interesting one. And sometimes my wife and I struggle with this. We still spend money. We just don't buy junk. You know, we, we, we buy investment properties. We, we buy index funds. Um, we, we buy a little bit of Bitcoin here and there. We buy, you know, investments. And, and when we look at something to buy, we're looking at it from an investment point of view. We're not looking at it from an expense point of view. So I, I think it's about, it's about telling yourself that. It comes back to what Luke kind of talked about earlier as well. You're buying something now for your future that's, that's going to be there when you're older and you're going to be thankful for that. And we only have to talk to anybody who is older than us to realize that they all say, oh, if only I started in my 30s. And I find myself telling people in their 20s, if only I started in my 20s, you know. So we know that we do this and, and we've all heard people say this, yet we don't. So for me, it was about challenging that notion and, and trying to get around that concept. And look, reducing your expenses is hard. Like we, we track every single expense that we have. Um, we're extremely frugal. We, we go to the shops and we're nervous about spending money. Uh, we, we dare be asked out for dinner. You know, I mean, <laughs> COVID has been a good thing in terms of our, our spending. Um, and yeah, sometimes we're a little bit critical about how much other people and our friends spend, you know, because that can get out of, out of hand and, and we can't keep up with that. But we're okay with that as well, because we know that what we're doing is having the bigger picture in mind here. And it's, it's, it's a goal and a, and a means to an end, really. So it's all part of embracing that movement. And to, you know, to go back to, to kind of exactly what you were touching, guys were touching on earlier, the day that we, that we hit financial independence, that doesn't mean that work's going to stop for me. Uh, if anything, work's going to, you know, I'm, I'm going to allow myself to do more of the stuff that I'm passionate about. And there's still going to be income generating from that. And look, just because, you know, 2,000 euros a month covers our expenses, that isn't always happy living. You know what I mean? That doesn't cover an annual holiday. That, that doesn't cover a trip to Disneyland. So there's little things like that where there still need to be working. But I kind of look at it like this. If I'm, if I'm selling my time for money and that money is going towards a holiday for me and the, and the kids and the family rather than bills and car tax and all that other stuff, then what a great reason to work, you know. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's largely our, our, our notion for, for doing all of this stuff. It's amazing. Yeah. And <coughs> excuse me. We both had to cough at the same time, Mark. It's like we're in the same room. We've we've uh, Michael, I don't know, we've tried to make the lighting and everything the same so it looks like one. You guys studio. gotta be careful coughing these days, you know yeah, what I mean? I know. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I feel I'm feeling pretty good. Um but yeah. So what what maybe what what are the type of things that um people should be looking at if they're investing, if they're starting off in this type of thing? Is it do we just go straight up at the beginning? Say if it Let's say, put it this way. Let's say uh, a friend of mine is a carpenter who's doing very well, um, and he's got an ex. He's, his business is throwing off two to three thousand a month extra in uh, in cash. You know um, that he's spending now on fancy dinners, etc., <laughs> um, uh, and paying, picking up the bills for things, um, that type of thing. Um, should they just stick to the index funds? We mentioned a little bit some of the other asset classes there. Property is that buying funds of property, as in like buying a kind of the kind of REITs and stuff like that. Um, where, where do you think people should start if they're just getting cracking? Yeah, so for me, property has been our own investment property. Which um, look, that's that's going to be fairly hands on. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you guys the boring answer, and I I, I feel I feel this is the advice I wish I'd given myself 
and and I didn't take it. So I when I when I started out, I didn't. I started on the high investment, high risk uh, investments, which have ultimately cost me, and I could almost guarantee will cost anybody that takes that route. So I hate to say it, but but evaluate your pension and see where that's at. Start start with your pension. The boringest answer I can give, but the 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 soundest answer that I can give as well. And if yeah, we we should all be making pension contributions regardless of our age. If, particularly if you're on the 50% tax bracket. And in fact, I'm going to add a, I'm going to add a subclause for anybody that's paying more than 50% tax or is in that higher tax bracket, where, where you start paying 50% tax marginally, you need to be utilizing a pension to reduce that tax bill, and to to put that money away in terms of locking it away and knowing that it's safe. Because when it's in your pension, you're going to mentally ride it out. When it's in your name and it's your personal income, it's going to be a lot harder to write out a fall. But when you know you don't need that money for many, many years, it's a lot easier to to sit there and forget about it. Um, so that's where I would start. For anybody who is under the fifty percent tax bracket, then a pension isn't necessarily the best route. That's that's where you can start to open a a brokerage account at something like Degero, and you can just buy a nice ETF. Um, it's, look, there's plenty of resources online on this stuff, but um, you know, there's, there's some good Vanguard ETFs in Ireland that we have access to. They're not hugely tax efficient. That's a, that's a drawdown. But the big drawdown, or the big problem with pensions is that the pension fees can be high and eat away at, at the portfolio after a while. So that, that would be my, my advice to anybody starting out. Um, but just like in, in saying that, anybody starting out in, in investing is going to make mistakes. I am not an exception to the rule. I made mistakes and I'm no different from a lot of other people who have made mistakes. Uh, I've learned the hard way. And, you know, if you listen to this podcast, please take my advice and don't have to learn the hard way like I did and just start out with reg- make sure that whatever you're buying is regulated and ideally let it be indexed because there's no, you know, for anybody that would have gone and bought Ryanair shares back in January would now be, pretty upset about it you know whereas if you'd bought the index and you'd what what i mean by the index is you're buying 500 companies or 2000 companies there's a lot less risk for that and you're you're far more diversified that's fantastic and so now maybe we might switch gears and have a chat about like what do you do with all this uh this uh, spare time this this uh this these passions that we can all have uh look forward to in six <laughs> only six years time in six years you know i it's hard to it's hard to imagine. I'd like to. I'm going to do some math after this. All right, I'm going to send uh, Michael uh, an email with the plan, um, and I'll put it on our website as well or our <laughs> Instagram, uh, so it will be public. We can uh, hold each other to this uh, six-year plan. But uh, so I, you mentioned before we got started as well. There was some stuff that you're doing around uh, forestry, some uh, social entrepreneurship, some stuff that's close to your heart. What's going on there? Yeah, do you know social entrepreneurship is a, is a great term, and it, it's something that I've only embraced recently. I've I've always considered myself an entrepreneur. I come from fa- a family of entrepreneurs, uh, very much anti jobs, and you know, very much enjoying self employment and all, all that sort of stuff. Rolling up your sleeves and getting on with it. But I've always been a terrible entrepreneur. You know, I I, I have been an entrepreneur that hasn't focused on profit enough, but have somehow managed to make success out of things without it being necessarily making me rich, which is fine. So, you know, the the most recent example beyond the, the native tree project, which I'll talk about shortly, was actually to do with, I mentioned earlier, with hockey clubs. So in the last 18 months, I've started four hockey clubs and I've had 350 kids now take up the game wow. uh, who wouldn't have otherwise if I hadn't actually started the hockey clubs up. And it was simply a case where I saw it 
I saw it could be done. I saw there was demand. And when I spoke to a few people, nothing was really being done. So I, I started it. And along, along my journey, I actually, I, sh I should go back a little bit. I made the decision a couple of years back to actually cut down to part-time work. And up until recently, I was only working around 10 to 15 hours a week. So I kind of decided that I was actually going to go out there and actually live this semi-retired lifestyle to see what it's like before I actually commit to, to doing it. And what I learned was it's fantastic. Um, it really is great. So I was able to have all this time to do the hockey club projects and do all this cool entrepreneur stuff. But as I said, I found out along the way that I'm actually not great at making money, but I am great at getting stuff done. So I, uh, I went and did that and that was great. And, and then I started looking around at forestry and, you know, the, the Irish forestry industry, it, it's got a little bit of a, a bad reputation. And you guys are probably aware that like Ireland's lost more of its native woodlands than any other country in Europe. So we're, we're fairly, yeah, it's, it's fairly upsetting that we've lost so much of these woodlands and nothing was really being done to actually help restore them. So I uh, started a Facebook page, reached out to people and started just having a conversation about it. And I was very quickly able to get uh, a few people together who were actually able to yeah, share the same pa passion and, and were, were far, yeah, had far more, more knowledge than I did about everything. So we got together and, and we decided to form a co-op. Right. So you guys might be aware of co-ops, a credit union, carry group, you know, some taxis. But when you go down to see your bank manager and telling him you're setting up a co-op, they kind of look at you funny. You know, in fact, my bank manager, he had never in 31 years set up a co-op. So we managed to start doing it. And this was formed all during during lockdown. And uh, we, we got seven what they called special members. And we drove around when you could drive around before it got really bad lockdown again. And we met and we signed all this paperwork and the paperwork was it was like nothing I've ever seen before. And uh, we managed to finally get it set up. And a couple of weeks ago, we got the bank account set up, which is great. And we have managed to get over 100,000 euro pledged to buy some land. Wow. And we've received around half of that so far to date. And two days ago, we actually just paid up 32,500 euros to our solicitor to buy our first bit of land in Roscommon. Wow. And we're on track to plant 12,000 native trees earlier or later this month. So, you know, we've managed to actually get something going. And the cool thing about all of this is that, you know, while it's obviously great from an environmental point of view and we're actually doing stuff, you also get a return because as part of setting up these native woodlands, the government get, pays these grants every year, the tax-free grants. And basically, as a shareholder, you now receive a percentage of that grant depending on how many shares you get. So it's quite nice, you know. And kind of the other strange thing again, and, and some entrepreneurs will cringe at this, as a co-op, it's a little bit like an association. So it's not owned by me. It's not owned by anybody. It's owned by its members. And every member, no matter how many shares you has, has an equal vote. And the members elect the board and the board then runs the shop. And the board are basically investors as well. So everybody's kind of aligned with it. So it's got this kind of nice transparent <clears throat> and democratic uh, element to it as well. So it's, it's been great. It's, it's been such an exciting project to work on. And it's just you know, to see the results and to see something scale as quickly as it is. And who knows? Who knows where this could go? This could get really big, really quick. If we, what if what we is the right. long-term plan for it, Michael? Our long-term goal is, well, there's two long-term plans, but our, our first one is we want to plant a million native trees. We would love to plant a million native trees. We really, we, we, this, the great thing about the co-op structure is it's so scalable. Um, you know, when you've got a private company or a public company, 
adding a new shareholder is expensive. With a co-op, it's all done internally. So there's no cost to us to add another shareholder. Nice. So it's quite good in terms of being able to raise capital. We are subject to audit, so we do get audited every year. Um, but even that cost is reasonable enough at scale. So that's that's our first objective. But our, our other objective is, is actually to, to make, make forestry sustainable and make these native woodlands sustainable in the sense of that they bring income through not just the grant income. Because the challenge we have is that that grant income after 15 years stops. So, you know, after that, what are you left with? We potentially left with a dead landmass. So we, we see a few opportunities for us to be able to generate an income from that long term, albeit through carbon credits, through recreation, uh, through deer farming. Um, I'll list a few quickly, but there's a few uh, recreation. I think I mentioned that already. Um, memorial forests, um, you know, beekeeping, even so we're talking to a few people about putting solar panels through some of the forests and all this sort of stuff. So we're trying to find ways where it really make it actually viable as a business model so that we're not just you know, creating giant land masses and, and trees that don't do anything. We, we really mm. see it as, as creating forests that actually do something and, and produce an income long term. Hey, Michael, that might be the most interesting business I've ever heard. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's so, because it's great, like you said, great for the environment, great for uh, just like native uh, woodland is not, uh, you know, it, when when I lived in Canada uh, recently for a couple of years, I could it, really see the benefit of having so much forest all around you, being in that kind of nature. In Ireland, it's mostly, um, you know, fields and stuff like that, uh, which is a pity because, you know, up until, you know, a couple thousand years ago, it was all woodland, right? So It was um, all woodland, that's right. Which is crazy, Yeah, yeah, big time. Um, so the... So just so right now, it, the the income that it generates is is from uh, grants, kind of like to encourage uh, planting of trees, that type of thing from the government. Is that how that works? Correct, correct. There's there's two there's two different grants. There's one that they pay every year, and there's a native woodland fund where they where you get a little bit of money up front for planting as well. So cool. yeah, it's it's all government grants. But again, you know, at, at the moment, a lot of that money is is either given to the government's own forestry organisation. Or it's given to overseas investors. So another nice thing about this is we're actually allowing Irish people to own these forests, you know, and, and to be feel like they actually own the forest rather than yeah. it being owned by some guy living offshore. We actually yeah. get to let let the people of Ireland actually own those forests, which is nice again, you know. So yeah, look, it is Luke. It's one of those things where it kind of feels good and it makes money as well. And like I kind of talked about that social entrepreneur stuff, it's not making me money per se. I'm actually giving up my time for it. But it just makes you feel so good. And, and you know, even, even back to the hockey clubs earlier, you know, if, if I'm driving out and uh, Castle Troy Hockey Club is, is the main hockey club that I set up. It's, it's actually grown to be quite a big hockey club now. You know, if I might be in town and I see somebody wearing the Castle Troy Hockey Club hoodie, you know, I don't know who they are, but they're a member of the club. I mean, yeah. what a great feeling that is. You know, that's because of I got off and actually did something that they're now going around wearing that hoodie and, and promoting the club, you know, and it's, it's, it's that sort of stuff which you can't put a price on. You know, you, you it's like when we see people going around these t-shirts. Mark. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's exactly. It. I mean, look, as a podcaster as well, I know exactly what you mean. You, you guys know it yourselves. You get a nice email from from a listener who just says thanks for thanks for you know for producing the content. It's been great. It's that same feeling. It keeps you going. You know, it keeps you motivated when things are hard sometimes. That's so good, and it's it's kind of circles back to being uh, having the mindset of, well, having the time to to think about not just what's what's how can I maximize my salaried job because usually like it, the higher you go up the into those brackets where it's you know 52 percent for bonuses and stuff that type of a tax bracket the more you you do have to kind of give away you go like you're on call then as as you go up it seems like in my in my uh experience um so 
it's it's not as much uh maybe not even an option for somebody to think about putting the time into starting a, a club that they'd they'd be passionate about um like i was in kickboxing clubs um when i was growing up and the, <clears throat> the person who started that um had been doing it since the 70s and it's just a huge part of their life and it wasn't it definitely wasn't for the money um it's not a it's not an earner but uh how many like he probably you know helped thousands of teenagers with their confidence and all that like just a, a huge huge impact on people do you know what I mean? so i think it's something to something to think about as well maybe that's when we're talking about that um brightness of future or that uh compelling future that we're trying to build when we're making our plans and all that type of stuff um having that type of uh view to say this is things that i'd like to do if i had you know more time if i could stop working at midday every day uh which i think i, think, I like i think the, the, what's happened with with covid and it's made everybody not everybody but a lot of people work from home mm-hmm. has given them that freedom to actually get more more different things done you know i could i could never just collect the kids from school stuff like that so there's actually more time people will have more time to spend yeah. on passion projects they're not kind of you know, locked tied to the desk, so to speak, in an office. So that's that's one of the good things I think that's come out of yeah. the kind of lockdown situation. And someone sent yeah, me, yeah, yeah. Someone sent me an email there, the, a podcast listener. Um, I won't say their name. I don't know if they want to be shouted out here, but uh, if they sent me an email uh, yesterday saying that they listened to our idea, we did this <laughs> during the the first lockdown. Me and Mark did like a two hour podcast where we were just going through business ideas. You, if you had lost your job, what what we can do with very little money uh or if you want to raise money all that type of stuff so we went on for about two hours um and then the, the guy was saying that he listened to that and that he's he's trying out some of those ideas like so you know those little kind of uh those things that kind of come out of these passion projects uh they affect people way more than just if you're just a salaried worker waiting until you're 65 so you don't have to work mm-hmm. fuck i think bit, what's made a huge difference obviously is technology michael how important do you think that is you know nowadays to actually achieve this kind of thing technology how how big a part does it play yeah i i i will be honest i i've probably had a little bit of an advantage being a web developer mm. and i've been able to build systems that allow me to to kind of help with this so even with the hockey clubs i was able to put together pretty good websites where people would go and register and we'd run open days and, and particularly with the native woodland co-op you know a great website together that allows people just to go and sign up and and do it all seamlessly so that has certainly been a help um but there's no different from any business you know and that's kind of how i see it a a business is a system so why not set up a hockey club as a system why not set up a co-op as a system and build that system to actually give you that efficiency um and so it's the same kind of it's the same kind of concept it's it's valuing that efficiency and and building it but building out a system whether it's a a limited liability company or a co-op or a club or an association it's all the same thing at the end of the day it's just you know rather than chasing the profit you're chasing something you know bigger than that so that's that's what it comes down to yeah and i think to be able to learn about all these different things how to set up a company you know how to build a website getting in touch with people building facebook pages that's that all comes down you can learn all that online that's the great thing about it yeah you can and and again mm-hmm. even like even doing those passion projects, you know, I, I learned how to set up an association. I learned to go down to the bank and say, look, here's the constitution. And like, I say that kind of like cheekily in the, in the camera, but I had no idea what I was doing. And then you're waiting for the reaction of no, Mr. Houghton. But they said, yes, Mr. Houghton, here you go. And just fill out this documentation, Mr. Houghton. So it's very much, I feel like my life is a big pile of paperwork sometimes. 
But once you get it <laughs> done, behind you there, Michael. Yeah, I know. And apologies <laughs> if you are watching this on camera. Like I said, I'm moving house soon, and we've been waiting for a long time, and that's been even more paperwork. But it, it's very much about you know what can you actually yeah you know, when you actually go and ask somebody. And look, I I got told no every way, every shape and form. But every so often you get told yes, so then you might then find somebody a net, network with somebody who can actually help you. And you know the, the case of the native woodland co-op is probably a great example. We're now getting people call us, you know, whereas before it was us calling people. We're now getting you know people reach out to us, and and that's quite nice to to start to see that sort of level of growth happening. Um, yeah, from from starting from nothing really. So, yeah, it, it is it has been interesting. And are you busy enough now with what you have on all these different things that you have on? Or are you constantly looking for different? Uh, opportunities in that regard I'm trying my best not to take on I really I, I, I struggle to say no and particularly basically I was working part-time I made the decision that I made the hard decision to go back to to working six six hours a day uh, up from down from about three hours a day because I realized that if I started to do that I, I can get there within six years uh, one of the traps I'd kind of fallen into was I had stopped working and making money and instead I was doing all this other stuff for free and passion which made me feel good but it wasn't actually getting our financial goals met so I kind of had to sit down and go look we have to get this financial goals met before I go and do these passion projects um, and to kind of come back to something you touched on earlier Luke when you're not needing to do something for the money you can start working on stuff that's going to change the world and that's not quoted for me, by the way. This is something Mr. Money Mustache says uh, himself, that, that when you're not motivated by money, it's amazing what you're actually going to start achieving. Something you're achieving stuff that's far more powerful, perhaps, than money. Look, in an ultimate world, money and changing the world for the good is the best thing. But that can be very, very difficult to do. Whereas doing something just for the good of it, for the good of humanity, that's, that's a fairly powerful motivation, I think. Absolutely. And on that, uh, on that note, we want to jump into our, uh, our lightning round. This one, I'm super uh, excited about this one. Pick your brain on this. So in our podcast, we asked kind of like uh, three or four questions at the end just to get people's uh, kind of take on things. Um, it doesn't have to be quick uh, answers, but Mark likes to kind of ask some quick fire questions here. Uh, I think it's going to be interesting. Okay. What apps do you use the most? Facebook. And I'm trying to think what I'm glued to at the minute. Uh, I don't even have my phone on me. Facebook, LinkedIn, just just your standard ones. I'm, you know what? I'm not even much of an app guy, believe it or not. So just your standard stuff. There's nothing there which, uh, which would stand out. What's the best business idea you've never acted upon? I hope you guys can edit some of this out while I'm thinking. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> it adds to the drama. I, I know. I buying, buying Bitcoin back in 2009. I know it's not so much a business nice. idea, but I had the opportunity to do it. Okay. Yeah. And what's your thoughts on, on, on Bitcoin now? Right now, uh, as an investment? I, I own some Bitcoin. The reason I struggle with some Bitcoin and things like gold is they don't do anything fundamentally. It's mm -hmm. all speculation. Whereas at least if you're buying something like stocks you're actually getting dividends and, and you're at least it's, your money's actually doing something. Whereas if Bitcoin is just sitting there and it's not doing anything, I, I own Bitcoin because I've, I've got FOMO and I don't want to get FOMO again. Right. So at least if it does do something, I'm going to be in, in, in for the win. And if it goes down to nothing, well, I'm not going to be too, too far down in any way. I own less than 1% of my portfolio on Bitcoin. Okay. Um, what time do you get up at in the morning and what time do you go to sleep? This is a great question, Mark. So this might shock you a little bit, but uh, I am still on daylight savings time. 
I've refused to adopt into winter hours in Ireland. So I've been getting up at. I don't know if you're. I've been getting. Yeah, I've been getting up at six a.m., which is your guys six a.m. winter time, which is summertime seven o'clock, and I have my children also still on summertime, and so they're still getting up early. So I'm at work at six thirty every morning, and I would typically go to bed at around ten thirty to keep myself on check with. with the with the summertime interesting so that's another another part of the freedom is picking whatever uh calendar and time that you want to be on 100 percent, yeah particularly because the clients i work with are based all around the world anyway so okay. they've got no uh preference for when i actually do the work but i decided i i, I thought it's better to start in darkness than finish in darkness that's that's kind yeah. of my logic 100 percent. yeah couldn't agree more if you, if you could do business anywhere in the world wherever it would be Ford of Insurer, Lanzarote, somewhere where I could actually just, you know, and get a little bit of sunshine and, and enjoy. Ireland's an amazing country for raising family and everything like that, but the weather does let it down. So, yeah, for, for me, it's once the kids are growing up, somewhere tropical. I was going to say, is, is the kind of freedom of location something that you think about living somewhere else? Oh, definitely. Definitely. I've, I've lived in three countries in my life and I've traveled the world working as well. Um, so, yeah, I'm certainly... As, as much as I love living in Ireland, I don't feel tied to one country. I could I could go anywhere and, and start working tomorrow w- without yeah. any difficulty. And have you thought about that, like life arbitrage, living somewhere where you're spending a lot less? <clears throat> <laughs> I've thought I've thought about it pre kids. Once once you got children, it's a lot difficult. So yeah, I I, I think about when the youngest is eighteen, we'll get a yacht maybe and start sailing the world. Who knows? <laughs> but uh, yeah, we'll wait and see. They can pick up Spanish, get them learning Spanish. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. How much money is enough money? Well, we know that actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm going to lock in 600,000. Yeah. So 600. 24 grand a year. Look, I'm, I'm actually, I'm going to answer that by actually saying this. And, and I know living in Dublin is a bit of an exception, but outside of Dublin, you know, you can live in Ireland for 2000 euros a month if you have, if you have to, and if, if you buy the right house or rent the right house um, and find a way to do that. So we're kind of living proof of that. We, we have three kids, you know, that's not easy, but we're able to pull that off. So maybe just, right. just a question on that. Just get your take on this. And I know I'm kind of harping in on here and uh, Mark's questions, but like, would you in this type of movement, in this kind of type of mindset, would you be of the opinion to like get people to just bang off as much of their mortgage as possible or just, keep that as a an expense you know treat it like it's kind of like a rent you're gonna to have to pay that anyway what, what, what's your where do you, you know, kind of stand there so yeah so the logic of it is is that if yeah reducing your mortgage obviously reduces your overall monthly expenses and that means that you can live off less it, it, it's kind of a personal choice and it would depend on on your comfort in investing if you're the sort of person that buys into the share market and then panics when it goes down pay off your mortgage if you're comfortable with riding the, 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 the share market, invest in the share market while interest rates are low. You know, if interest rates go up again, maybe paying off your mortgage will, will be a better option. But for most people, putting money into a pension, getting the tax advantage and just paying off the mortgage over time and not worrying about it too much is probably a better option. I think the interest really does make a difference as well. My friend who just moved back to uh, Scandinavia just got a, a mortgage for 1.25%. That's free money. Yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy. Well, I've, I've I've heard of some mortgages in Denmark now where you're actually getting paid. The I, negative interest rates are actually you're getting paid to take a mortgage. It's some of the, so. the yeah, property is a tough thing in Ireland. <laughs> Sometimes um, 
you know, and we thought we got a good deal, but anyway, um, <laughs> yeah. one point two five. I buy any house; it doesn't matter. Like you know, they're paying for it. Yeah, it's, um, it's less. It's less than inflation, right? <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's and and that's that. Look, these these are the things you need to be thinking about, right? So it depends on your situation. It depends on how big your mortgage is as well, um, and it depends what's going to keep you motivated. You know, if, if getting a lower mortgage is going to keep keep you motivated, keep doing that, pay it off. Okay, cool. Hey, Mark, what's the last? What's the burning question that you have here? And then we'll uh, let Mike get on with his his day. Last two burning questions, right? Um, okay. Is it who you know or is it what you know? Jeez, these are, these are great. I'm, I'm going to go with it's what you know. And I'll tell you why. Because when you know something, you're going to find people naturally anyway, right? And, and I take that from my own craft as a web developer. I'm a very, very good web developer. And I've never had to go hunting for work. People will find me. And I think it's the same for anything in life and and some of the i mean i came here 10 years ago knowing nobody 50 euros in the back pocket and you know i would now i i know i i often come back to this a lot of this stuff about why we do passion projects about legacy if i were to die tomorrow there would be 3000 well at the moment there couldn't be 3000 people at my funeral but i bet you if it wasn't covid there would be 3000 people there and that's all come from actually doing stuff and, and starting stuff so you know it's not you know it doesn't matter where you come from i came from a country as far away from ireland as 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 possible and i'm living proof that you can actually you know, build a community build a legacy for yourself very good um if you could advise somebody to learn one skill what would it be financial education Boom. The, in my opinion almost the only skill you need to know uh, my my son my oldest son is dyslexic he will struggle through school but he is already financially savvy my 6 year old is probably too financially savvy right he struggles to let go of his money we recently introduced a what i call a savings tax on my children so every time they buy something they have to pay 50% into a savings account right wow. so it means that when they go and spend if they go and spend 10 euros at smiths it's really costing them 15 euros and 5 euros is put away for them so for me teaching financial education and people being able to to understand finances properly is just is just so vital it's it's going to make you go so far in life regardless of what your salary is regardless of your own personal situation if if you can be good with money you'll go a long way in life and and you'll have a happier life for it and of course there's lots of resources <clears throat> online and books and stuff like but if you had to pick let's just say one book that somebody should read to change their mindset or to really you know believe in it what would that book be i'd have to i'd have to go back to rich dad poor dad it's it's still a book i read over and over again it's a very very simple read it takes 3 hours to listen to that book on youtube um look it's not the answers necessarily but it'll get you thinking and you'll discover the answers by listening to that book over and over again perfect yeah, great book it's a, it's been a great book and it's a it's it's something that Actually, you know, some people should keep that book or that kind of quadrant on your desk. That should be the, what you're doing every day. You know, sometimes you go to work and it's kind of like, I just go to work. Or, like, I, I, I'm just saying about me, but I think a lot of people just go to their desk every morning and just kind of get through it. Try to get, if you're in sales, try to get your deals in. Try to kind of keep the wolf from the door. But it's not like, okay, how much of this today am I putting into my investments? Do you know what I mean? So, like, I can tie it back to what I'm actually trying to do uh, with that. But um, we do have one more question for you, Michael. This one's pretty hard. Okay. Um, Go on. <laughs> would you prefer a shark T-shirt that looks like something like this, or a shark mug? It's up to you. 
What do you think? Definitely the T-shirt. Definitely the T-shirt. Perfect. I'm, I'm an Irish large. Okay, Irish. So. Okay, Irish large. They are American sizes. It's been it's, okay. it's been kind of dodgy. The uh, we'll, we'll figure it out. We'll go off. Take this offline. Thank you very much, uh, Michael, for joining us uh, on the Shark Pod today. And uh, hope, I'm gonna I'm gonna follow up on this, and I'm gonna send you my plan uh, tomorrow. I have a day off work tomorrow because I've been forced to take vacation and uh, and work. So I'll uh, I'll, uh, I'll do it then. Thanks very much, Michael. Thanks, Thanks Michael. guys. Been a pleasure. Thank you.